As part of our study on what Christians pursue, we have been looking at the pursuit of prayer, and more specifically, the pursuit of Christ's model for prayer, as outlined in Matthew 6, 9-13. And so let us begin our time of study not simply by reading it again, but by praying it in our hearts. Pray then, this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. My attempt at studying this model uh, for prayer was to use um, the following outline. Basically, Jesus is teaching us to pray with reverence, hallowed be thy name. He's teaching us to pray to relinquish thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He is teaching us to pray with reliance, give us this day our daily bread. He is teaching us to pray with repentance, forgive us our trespasses, to pray for refuge, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lastly, he's bringing it all back together to pray for God's reputation. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. I also try to make the study a little more practical for us by asking three simple questions about each of these three keywords. Number one, what does this keyword mean? Number two, what does this keyword look like when applied to my life? And number three, how does this inform the attitude and the content of my prayer? So far we have completed the first two keywords which teach us that we are to pray with reverence and to pray to relinquish. We are to pray with reverence by being concerned for God's glory. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're basically saying, let your name be regarded with honor among the people. And not just let your name be honored or regarded with honor, but let me conduct my behavior in a manner which shows that I regard your name with honor. And therefore, this is not just a model for prayer, it's a model for a lifestyle. Secondly, we are to pray with the intention to relinquish your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, we're saying, Lord, you know best. I want what you want. Where you want to go, I will go. And therefore, prayer is not seen as a means for God's will to be aligned to my will, but the opposite. Prayer is a mechanism where I align myself to God's plans. He's, I don't want Him to change His plans for my desires. I want to change my desires so that they can conform to His plans. If we are to pray for His kingdom to come, then we must pray for our kingdom to go. So we see that Christ's model for prayer begins with petitions that are not concerned primarily with our needs, but His glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Which tells us that prayer, if we are to follow this outline, it is to begin with an acknowledgement of who God is. 
We don't just barge into God's presence even though we have the confidence and even though we have the right of admission to come in. We don't barge in and just present a laundry list of our petitions. We begin by acknowledging who God is. We begin by acknowledging that He is worthy of honor and respect. We begin by reverencing His name. And only then, once we have, we, once we have addressed His majesty and His glory, do we then begin to present our petitions. What sort of petitions are these? Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, In such a small compass, our Lord has covered the whole life of the believer in every respect. Our physical needs, daily bread. Our mental needs, forgiveness. And, and of course, our spiritual needs, leading and deliverance are included. The body is remembered, the soul is remembered, the spirit is remembered, and that is the whole of man. Unquote. Another way to look at it is that this prayer, or the, the, the ones that we are looking at now, uh, it deals with our present, our past, and our future. Present de- the bread deals with the present, our physical needs. Forgiveness deals with our past, our mental needs. Leading and direction deals with our future, our spiritual needs. And so when we pray the prayer that that Jesus teaches us to pray, we are praying profoundly and deeply with a sense of who God is. And not only that, we are praying very profoundly and deeply with the weight of our own spiritual and physical needs, past, present and future. Following Christ's model for prayer then, is, is a, an enriching, fulfilling, satisfying way to pray because we are taken up into the heavenlies where we, where we acknowledge who God is. We acknowledge His beauty. We acknowledge His majesty. We acknowledge His glory. But then we don't just leave it there. We, his, his glory and majesty is not left in isolation, but it is connected to us because it is only when He, when he provides for us that His name is hallowed. When He forgives us that His kingdom comes. When He delivers us from evil and when He leads us in the right way that His will is done in our lives. And so keeping this connection between the glory of God and the needs of man, let us now deal with the text that is before us. Give us this day our daily bread. We move from reverence, praying with reverence and praying with the intention to relinquish, to now praying with an attitude of reliance. This is all that we will have uh, time for this morning, uh, because the meaning of this reliance needs to be really fully unpacked if we are to understand what it means to pray with reliance. Give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? What is daily bread. What is bread? Are we to take bread literally? Because if we are to take bread literally, then really, do we have need to pray this? Because whether it's white bread, brown bread, five grain bread, soy, linseed bread, whatever, there is a glut of bread in this country. There is no need for bread from a human physical perspective because really we have more than we can chow down. What does Jesus really want us to pray for when bread for us in this Western culture is not really such a great need? Perhaps you might want to consider the words of J.C. Ryle, and I quote 
We are here taught to acknowledge our entire dependence of God for the supply of our daily necessities. As Israel required daily manna, so we require daily bread. We confess that we are poor, weak creatures in need and beseech our maker to take care of us. We ask for bread as the simplest of our wants and in that word we include all that our bodies require. Unquote. In other words, everything that our bodies require, all our physical needs, our financial needs, our clothing needs, our housing needs, our medical needs, every sort of need is covered with the term bread. Whether it's whatever, whatever you could ask for in terms of your physical requirements, what you need for your daily sustenance is covered by that single term bread. And we must be careful to understand that bread is not referring, is only referring to our needs, and as someone has said, not to our greeds. It's only to our necessities, not to the niceties. Is it true that God gives us luxuries? Absolutely He does. Is it true that He gives us more than we can ask for? Absolutely He does. But that doesn't mean that we are to focus our attention on those luxuries. If you remember the song by Janis Joplin, she famously sang, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime, no help for my friends. So Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? And that's, I think, very often how we can approach prayer. We pray for the niceties, we pray for the finer things, we pray for the luxuries. But Jesus is here teaching us to pray for the things that we need, the basic necessities. It's not wrong, by the way, to pray for your physical needs. There are some on, on one end of the spectrum who would say that it's more virtuous if you don't pray for your physical needs. It's somehow more spiritual if you neglect your physical needs because that's, oh, that's all physical. Well, that's wrong because Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. He teaches us to pray for, our, for what we need. There are others, on the other hand, who would pray and think that it is actually spiritual to ask for luxuries. We have a whole prosperity movement that is based on, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? And so Jesus here is standing in the middle of two extremes where he is saying we don't have to be that hyper, you know, spiritual where we stop praying, where we think it's more spiritual not to pray for the physical, and we need to not go into the other extreme where we think it's more spiritual to pray for the, the physical. One end says, don't pray for the necessities. One end says, pray for the niceties. And Jesus is saying, both are wrong. Why? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that physical needs are unimportant. It just means they are not all important. Just means that physical needs should not be at the forefront of our minds. They should not be occupying the maximum real estate in our minds. 
John 6. What does Jesus say? Don't labor for the food that perishes. Don't labor for the food that perishes. Instead, labor for the food which endures to eternal life. What is that food, Lord? I am the bread of life. No one comes to me. Anyone who comes to me will not hunger. And so we see that when we are asking really for bread, Christ is all that we need. What is Paul advised Timothy? If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6, 9. 8, 9, I'm sorry. Are you content just to ask for bread? Are you, are you content with only Christ? Are you content that God's name would be most glorified when He just gives you bread? When He just looks after the basics? Are you happy with that? Do you see God's will being done, not when He uh, gives you luxuries, but just when He gives you necessities? Here's the problem. I think we, are often, we often fall into the trap of thinking that God is only glorified when He gives us luxuries. That God is glorified when He does marvelous things, but we don't see bread as a marvelous thing. But Jesus addresses this misconception. And we now ask a second question in our study. How are we praying? What is the, what is the mode in which we pray? What is the attitude? What is our approach to prayer? What is the tone? And that's summed up in one simple word, give. The word means to grant or supply. It's not, it's not rocket science. Give means give. More importantly, the tense of the word indicates that for, for this giving to be carried out effectively and with great urgency. So this is basically a petition that looks outside of self for provision. It is an admittance, when I ask for something, when I ask Jeff, Jeff, give me your lawnmower, I am admitting that I don't have one. And when I say, Lord, give me my daily bread, I'm admitting that I don't have what I'm asking for. Jesus is teaching us to ask without self-sufficiency. And to ask with a sense of urgency that if he does not provide, we will not have. And so there's a sense of desperation here. Are your prayers desperate? Are you desperate in prayer? Or are you saying, yeah, whatever, thank you for the food, amen. Is your prayer life characterized by an urgency? Give indicates that we are wholly and utterly dependent 
on our Heavenly Father. The very concept of prayer, the, the very idea of this is to highlight that we are needy, reliant creatures. We do not have what we need. We are sheep. Everything needs to be provided for us. We need to depend on our shepherd for our everything. It doesn't matter whether you are born with a silver spoon in your mouth or whether you are living hand to mouth. Everything that you have and everything that you need comes from your heavenly father. Now, someone might say, I work hard to put food on the table. I, I've got a good job. I can take care of the needs. No, you can't. Who puts the food in the field so that it can be harvested? Who causes the rain to fall? Who causes the crops to grow? I came across this little poem which sums it up beautifully. Back of the bread is the snowy flour and back of the flour the mill. And back of the mill is the field of wheat, the rain and the father's will. No matter how technologically advanced we get, no matter how affluent we become, no matter how high we rise in our jobs and our careers, there will never come a time when we can say, I do not need God to provide my basic needs. And here's the misconception that I was referring to, and we may be, think, we may be tempted to think that God is only glorified when He gives us the big stuff. Lord, I thank you that you gave me the Mercedes-Benz, but I have a Camry. Uh, yeah, that'll do, I suppose. Lord, I've got the daily bills sorted. I just need you to sort out the mortgage. Lord, you know, we've saved for this trip to Bali, but if we want to go to Europe, then uh, that's when you'll have to chip in. I've got the money for the Kia sorted, but hey, if we want a Land Rover, you know, yeah, we need some help there. No. We don't have anything sorted. We don't have the bill sorted. We don't have the mortgage sorted. We don't have anything sorted because He is the one who provides our daily bread. Do you see how wrong that attitude is where we come thinking that we can sort out the little stuff? Lord, don't worry about the little stuff. I've, I've got that trust. Does your life show that you are dependent on God for the slightest need? Or do you operate as if you can hack it without God? The heart of sin is a heart that desires to be independent of God. I will do this, I will do that, I will rise, I will become like the sun, like the most high, etc., etc. That was like That was Satan. It's a heart that desires autonomy. Perhaps you don't go that far, but perhaps you operate as though you don't really need God for the small things. Beware of that attitude, because when we fall for that lie, when we only think that we, need, we don't need God for the little things, we will soon discover that we don't need God for anything. Turn with me to Daniel. Chapter 4, please. I want to give you an example of this. Daniel chapter 4. And it just talks about the subtlety of pride. Just to give you a bit of background, you know, uh, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been saved from uh, Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, we think that he's had a change of heart because he gives glory to God. And so let's read from verse 1 in Daniel chapter 4. If you're there, just follow along. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And you read that and you go, wow, wow, just look at the guy. He's saved. I mean, he's giving glory to God. He is acknowledging God's sovereignty. He is saying that God is king and his dominion is from generation to generation. You know, if he was in a church, we might make him elder or pastor. Look at this guy. Fantastic. But jump down a bit. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream which terrifies him. Daniel interprets the dream and then let's catch up in verse 29. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon, the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar is happy to acknowledge God's hand in the miraculous provision, but he is not happy to acknowledge God's hand in the physical provision. When you, when you see God's hand only in miraculous provisions, but fail to see his hand in daily provision, you are already in the clutches of sin and pride. Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, while the, word was in, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will eat grass like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over until, until what? Until you rec- recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Until you recognize that God is sovereign, until God, until you recognize that God is the one who provides everything, you will eat grass. What stands out for me in the chapter is how someone can claim to worship God and be so impressed by his sovereignty, but yet in their heart harbor self-sufficiency, and autonomy. Watch out for that attitude. Watch out for that attitude. Guard your heart against it. Where you would only give God the glory in miraculous conditions, but you would not thank Him and be grateful for the little things. Follow along in verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He's saying the same thing. But hang on. 
all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. This is now coming from a man who said, look at this Babylon that I've built. Look at this fantastic city, this superpower that I've created. And then he's, been, he's, he's, he's eating grass. He has recognized and he has been under God's punishment. And he has understood that really he has done nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? What are you doing, God? At that time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was re-established in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Are you walking in pride? Pride doesn't necessarily mean that you strut your stuff and you sort of look down on everyone. You can have pride in your heart where you'd say, Lord, I've got the small things covered. Prayer is not merely about acknowledging your reliance on God for the things that you need. It is also about acknowledging the things that you have. My reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me. I was re-established in my sovereignty. Surpassing greatness was added to me. It did not come from me. It came from someone else. This is a man who has been broken. God has used him mightily. He has restored to him great wealth and power, but it has come at a price. I believe we will see Nebuchadnezzar around the throne. I believe that. You don't hear of him anymore after this chapter. He's gone. He's humbled. It's not just the big things that are a gift from above. It's everything. The deceitfulness of sin is that you only need God for the big things. That you only need to be reliant when you need a miracle. But that you can count on yourself for the day to day. But we need to understand that even the little things are a miracle. Are you living in complete humility where you recognize who the source of your provision is for everything? Or are you living as though you can cover the basics yourself? Don't get me wrong. Recognizing that, that God is the provider of, any, of everything doesn't mean we stop working. Second Thessalonians 3.10 is clear. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's very clear. But it just means that we acknowledge that even our capacity to work, even the job that we have, even our ability to, to show initiative, it comes from the Lord. I suppose there's great truth in the Sunday school song, for you gave me a heart, and you gave me a smile, and you gave me Jesus, and you made me a child. 
But I just thank you, Father, for making me, me. Can you truly sing that? Where you are so satisfied with all that God has given you, all that He has made you, and say, I just thank you, Father, for making me, me. Listen to the words of F.B. Mayer. It's a bit lengthy, but I just love the language and I love what he's saying over here. I quote, Let us ever think of God as the bountiful and generous giver. Too often he has been described as hard and austere, and as a result men dread God and only think of him when they have been doing wrong. But we should describe him as the all-giver who gives all things to all with the most royal generosity. He gives sunbeams and dewdrops, showers and rainbows, grace and glory, his beloved son and his spirit, human love and friendship, the daily spreading of our table, the provision of all that we need for life and godliness. Whether we wake or sleep, whether we are evil or good, whether we are pleasing to him or not, to those who forget and blaspheme him equally, as to the saints and martyrs of the church, God gives with both hands, pressed down and running over. We cannot buy, we do not merit, we cannot claim, but we may rely on him to give. God is love, and love cannot refrain from giving, or it ceases to be love. Unquote. We serve a God who gives, who gives graciously, who gives generously. And when we start to think that we can occupy that place where we don't need Him to give, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Jesus is teaching us to pray to be reliant the slightest hint of self-sufficiency because gratitude is the attitude of the reliant heart. Are we grateful? How grateful are we? What are we asking for? We are asking for basic needs. In what manner are we to ask? We are to ask without self-sufficiency. Question number three, who are we to ask for? On whose behalf are we making our petition? Give us this day our daily bread. There's no my. There's no me. There's no personal here. Give us this day our daily bread. Every Christian is called as an individual, but our identity is also an identity as a collective in the body. 1 Corinthians 12.13 For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Verse 27 Now you are Christ's body. And individually members of it. So there's a, there's a simultaneous individuality and a collective identity for believers. And Jesus is teaching us for for. For, for us to pray for our needs to be met in the context of our community. Lord, don't just give me my daily bread. Give me my daily bread and supply everyone else who also needs it. We pray to our Father, our Father. 
And we ask Him for our daily bread. It's not just that I should have enough, but that others should have as well. And if God has given me more than enough, then that's how I meet the needs of others. Right? How does God meet the needs of His saints? Through His saints. It's not that I should stockpile, hoard. How often are you aware of the needs of others when you pray? What percentage of your prayer is devoted to the needs of others? Are you even with others to know what they need? Don't think that this petition is just a blanket blessing. You know, Lord, just bless all the folk at NCC. Bang, done. We have to pray with urgency. We have to pray with desperation. If I am to pray on your behalf... I am interceding for you, for your needs, and I am standing before God's throne of grace, and I am saying, Lord, this person needs this. That can never be done casually. As far as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. 1 Samuel 12.23 It's not wrong to pray for yourself. But it is, it is sin to pray only for yourself. Romans 15.30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayer. Colossians 4.2.3 Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Does this give you an idea that this is an optional thing to do? Very often, the idea of intercessory prayer, some people say, oh, that's a prayer warrior, that's, that's for them, that's not for me. No, no, no. Intercessory prayer is the ministry of every believer. If you are a blood-bought child of God, you have a duty, a responsibility to pray for every other blood-bought child. Be invested in the lives of others through prayer. Are you investing? Because if we, if we just see prayer as a, as a time when we just come and ask for us, this aspect of investing in others will, just, will not be on our radar. Give us this day. Give us our daily bread. You know why so many Christians are church hoppers? You know why so many Christians leave churches for the pettiest reasons? I believe it's because they don't pray for one another. I truly believe that. Because when, when I'm praying for you, and I'm coming before God in truth, I'm coming in reverence, I want to hallow His name. I want that His kingdom should come. And I want for His will to be done in your life. And I come before God and I'm praying and petitioning for you. How can I have a problem with you? When I have acknowledged to God my concern for you, how can that concern not live itself out? If my concern before God is just words, I'm a hypocrite. 
There is great responsibility and weight when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Intercessory prayer is my acknowledgement before the Father that I care for you. I'm not admitting it to you. I'm admitting it to our Father. Do you understand the weight of that? Husbands and wives, are you praying for each other? Parents, are you praying for your children? Children, are you praying for your parents? As elders, I hope you're aware that we pray for you. Each one of you. We pray for your needs. We pray for your family. We pray for your marriages. We, we pray for you. Are you, are you praying for us? That God would enable us to lead with humility and holiness? Are you praying for our marriages? Are you investing in us? Intercessory prayer is the foundation for a strong, united body. If a church is able to stand together, if a family is able to stand together, it is because its members spend time on their knees for one another. Are you invested in the lives of others through prayer? So far we've covered three questions. What are we asking for? We're asking for basic needs. And what manner are we to ask? We are to ask without self-sufficiency. Whom are we to ask for? We are to ask in the sense of a community. And lastly, in our study of this text, we ask one more question. How often are we to ask? Give us this day our daily bread. We are to pray repeatedly, continuously, regularly, constantly, unceasingly. Because our needs are regular and constant and unceasing and ongoing. I never stop needing. I never come to the point where I stop needing God's provision in my life. Praying with reliance is not just praying once a month or praying when I have the time or praying, you know, when I've got the energy. And I don't want you to think that just because I'm preaching this that I've somehow got this mastered. I don't. As to my shame, when I say that when I, when I, whenever I think I'm too tired to pray, it's, it's basically because I, don't, I think I don't have any needs to pray for. Because if I had needs, I would be praying for them. And even if it's not my needs, there's someone I can be praying for. But I can't allow my shortcomings to compromise God's truth. And so I have to say, we need to pray. Reliance is an ongoing attitude. It's not a one-time request. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a morning thing. It's not a night thing. 
It's a momentary thing. Moment, my moment. D.L. Moody sums it up very well when he says, and I quote, A man can no more take a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. Unquote. If your prayer life isn't regular, that's a sign that your dependence on God is decreasing. When prayer fades, faith drifts and pride arrives. If there is no practice of regular submission before God in your prayer life, the alarm bells should start ringing immediately. What does Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. What's your reaction to that statement? I don't like that statement. I don't like having be, be, to be told without someone, I can do nothing. I have my ideas and I want to get going with them. I don't want to have to keep submitting them for approval. Why do, I mean, sure, yeah, okay, I understand. I might need Christ's permission for some things, but everything? I mean, isn't, you know, um, Christ in me? Or something like that? Doesn't Paul say something? It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me, so if Christ is living in me, why do I need to take His permission all the time? What does 1 Peter 2.16 say? Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves for God. Romans 6.17-18 But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to form the teeth to that form of teaching to which you are committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 5-6 Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Christ is in me. It's no longer I that live, but I am a slave to Christ. And when I come to the point where I think I don't need to submit to His Lordship, that's a problem. I am no longer operating as a slave. I am trying to break away from His Lordship over my life. Let me state this as simply as I can. Failure to submit to Christ in prayer is failure to submit to His Lordship over your life. I'll say that again. Failure to submit to Christ in prayer is failure to submit to His Lordship over your life. This is not just some parts of your life. This is not the parts of your life that you can't handle. This is not the parts of your life that you're okay to let go of. This is your whole life. Everything. Everything. Slaves don't operate on their own will. They operate on the will of their master. Christ is our master. Don't leave him out of anything. 
So let's go over what praying with reliance involves. What are we praying for? We're praying for our basic needs. How are we praying? With complete dependence, without any sense of self-sufficiency. For whom are we praying? We are praying for others and ourselves in the context of others. When do we pray? We pray repeatedly, consistently, unceasingly, regularly, constantly. Add any other synonym to that. Let's now just bring this home to us and make it a little more practical by asking those three questions. What does it mean? What does it look like? And how should it inform? Praying with reliance means a heartfelt acknowledgement that we are unable to provide for even our most basic needs. It's not just saying it for the sake of saying it. It's coming and understanding and acknowledging and affirming that I'm a beggar. It's hard for us to do that in a Western society. We have everything we need, really. And God has blessed us with jobs, and God has blessed us with affluence to a great degree. But we have to come to the point. We have to come to the point where we acknowledge that we are beggars and there is nothing that we can provide for ourselves, even our daily bread. What does this look like? If God is supplying you your daily bread, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious. What are you worried for? If God can clothe the lilies in the field and the sparrows of the air, will He not give you much more than this? It looks like living without anxiety and with a sense of gratitude. It is praying with confidence because my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ. In Christ. That's, that's key. We don't have anything unless we are in Christ. It looks like being invested in the lives of others through prayer. Be invested. Be desperate for the needs of others. How should this attitude inform the content of my prayer? Pray with desperation and urgency that God would be glorified through His provision for your needs and the needs of others. Be desperate. We've seen pictures of, of um, Aleppo being bombed. It's a desperate situation. How desperate are we for them? And I'm not saying that you should just wire away money or things like that, but just in your heart, have you, have you prayed that God would do something? God knows your needs. He does not need to be reminded of your needs. Prayer is not to remind God of your needs. Prayer is to remind yourself that you need Him. 
You need Him. And therefore, we are to conduct ourselves, hallowed be your name. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner that brings Him glory. Where we demonstrate that we are fully reliant, completely reliant on Him for everything. Can I encourage you and exhort you to start praying with reliance? Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, we, we come before you, Lord, recognizing your majesty, recognizing your awesomeness, recognizing your transcendence so high above us. And yet, Lord, as we have sung today and celebrated today, Emmanuel, God who is with us, God who is above us has now come to be with us. What a blessing. What a great gift that through this little child who was born in a manger, we can have eternal life and be reconciled to the Father. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize how needy we are and how desperately reliant we are on this Messiah. Yes, we are reliant on Him for our salvation, for our eternal life, but we also are reliant on Him for our everyday physical life. And we pray, Father, that our reliance would show itself in humility and gratitude where we live lives of thankfulness for all that you have done for us. And Lord, where we live lives where we intercede for others and where we are desperate for the needs of others before you, showing our love for one another through our prayer and intercession for them. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do this unceasingly, repeatedly, day by day, moment by moment, acknowledging that every decision that we take Every, everything that we do, Lord, needs to be run past you. And we pray that we would never cease to be released from our bondship to Christ, but we would gladly be chained to him for the rest of our lives. And may this be for your glory and for your kingdom and for your will. We ask all this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.